This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, NBA Sound System Live. It is indeed NBA Sound System Live. Carlin Gay alongside Scott Rafferty from NBA.com Global. You can find us Tuesday afternoon, 3 p.m. Eastern across the NBA Global Networks. That's NBA.com in Canada. That's NBA.com in India. That's NBA.com in Australia as well. Scott, we are uh, closing in. We're, we're a week away from the start of the NBA Finals. How excited are you to finally crown a champion in the middle of October? It's very, very weird that we're playing this type of basketball this late into the calendar year. But look, the NBA Finals, beyond a Game 7, is is the best point of the NBA calendar. Um, so, you know, the four teams that we have remaining, I think any combination would make a really enjoyable and interesting series. Um, so I, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm so excited for this. I, there was a time when we didn't think that this day was going to come, given all the complications and how complicated, you know, the season restart was going to be. Um, so the fact that we're knocking on the door of it is very exciting. Yeah, it is exciting indeed, and uh, happy to see that it's done. It's been done relatively safely for all involved. Four teams remaining. We still got plenty to talk about. However, uh, we'll talk about LeBron James and his playoff run so far. We'll talk about that series that LeBron is in with the Denver Nuggets. They've been captain comeback king, comeback kids uh, for the entire playoff run, being down three one in back to back series and able to pull those out. They're down two zero against the Los Angeles Lakers. Can they make a comeback? We'll discuss that. And we'll also talk about, in my opinion, one of the most underrated coaches in the entire league. All that and more right here on this edition of NBA Sound System. But we'll start with the return and the return of one Gordon Hayward who came back to the lineup for the Boston Celtics this past weekend. And uh, the Celtics got a victory because of it. They blew the Miami Heat over Saturday night uh, and uh, got back into the series. Series is now 2-1. The game four uh, comes with a long break in between. Thank you, Monday Night Football. Uh, And the Boston Celtics now look like a team that could get back in this series after uh, dropping two tough ones to start the series. How big was Gordon Hayward's return for the Boston Celtics? It's huge. I think it's potentially a game-changing adjustment or addition to this team. Because look, you any team in the league that has someone who's averaging basically 18.7 rebounds and four assists, a guy who can make plays off the dribble, really smart passer, um, better defender than he's made out to be, you take that guy away from any team in the league and they're going to feel the effects of it. Um, and you know, all the numbers point to this Celtics team being better on both ends of the court with Gordon Hayward during the regular season. Um, there was a lot made of Miami's zone defense and how that gave Boston trouble in games one and two. And Gordon Hayward is perfect suit, uh, perfectly suited to kind of go up against that zone. He, he is a zone buster, a guy you can give the ball at the free throw line. He can make a jump shot. He can make the right pass. He can bail you out at the end of a shot clock when you need to play. Um, and he also lets the Celtics play what they call their best five lineup, which is Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, and Gordon Hayward, which we saw a little bit in that game three. That's not a lineup they're going to go to for the entire game or anything like that, um, but it, it, it can, you know, mess things up enough for the Heat or the other team because it's basically just five guys who can make a play and five very versatile defenders, um, minus Kemba Walker. And, um, but, you know, this is all reliant on 
the the how good how how his ankle feels i know after the game three he said that he was really tired because he basically he's missed a month off because of this ankle injury and he said his ankle was really sore and you said you know thank you for those three days off because of monday night football there is no one who is uh happier about those three days off i think <laughs> than golden haywood just for that extra rest that he gets and kind of ice his ankle and everything like that um because if they are going to win this series i do think they need to for him to be a consistent presence from here on out yeah, I agree with you. And I think if they are going to become a championship team, ultimately, they need Gordon Hayward in the lineup. Gordon Hayward's you know, existence on the team, I think, goes a little bit underrated because of the injuries he's dealt with since he's gotten to Boston. But having him on the floor raises this team's ceiling from just an NBA finalist to a championship team. I think Banner 18 is realistic in, in Boston if Gordon Hayward is healthy and productive. And when you're talking specifically about this Miami Heat series, in the regular season, Hayward played two games against the Heat. And, and when you look at those games that Hayward played in, uh, you know, Brown, Tatum, Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker averaged 19.7 points per game in those two games against the Miami Heat. It gives you three guys that are, you know, close to 20 points per game when you're looking at Kemba Walker's 19.7. Brown and Tatum are over that 20-point mark. Well, you add Gordon Hayward now, uh, and he was 22 points per game, shooting 55% from the field in those two games against Miami in the regular season. So now you add a, an extra 20-point-per-game score, and that just it's just tough for any defense, no matter how good you are. It's tough for any defense to really lock in and, and try to take things away from you offensively when you have four guys that on any given night can give you 20-plus. And uh, I know Marcus Smart has been terrific, uh, you know, he, he's part of the reason why the Celtics have made it this far. He was great against the Raptors, uh, and he was great against the, the, the Philadelphia 76ers in the opening round. And he's shooting the ball really well from three-point range. But now that Hayward's back, he doesn't have to carry that offensive responsibility anymore. He can go back to focusing on what he does best, and that's shutting guys down defensively. And we saw a little bit of that against Goran Dragic in Game 3. So it really does bring balance back to this Boston Celtic team when you add Hayward into the mix. And as you said... The zone defense gave the Celtics fits in the first two games. They really just couldn't figure it out. Or, or they had things to do. I guess they had counter punches to try and figure it out, but they just didn't have the pieces to execute it at a high level. Now you replace Daniel Tice, a guy that you know is going to give you his best effort, his best games come off energy plays, and you replace him with Gordon Hayward, who can still give you those energy plays, but he also gives you elite offense and elite playmaking and elite shooting in a zone, you know, in a zone offense concept, that that's really tough for any team to combat against. So, the Celtics were able to counterpunch, come back, get back into the series. It's now the Heat's turn to make adjustments to a, a fully healthy Boston Celtic lineup. And I think you and I both picked the Celtics in the series, and it was yep. all dependent on whether or not Gordon Hayward would come back and be healthy. And we saw in Game Three exactly why he's so important to the Boston Celtics. And he's just a really smart player too, like. To your point, there are games when he's going to score 20 plus points, but also in game three, he scored six points in 30 minutes. And he's not necessarily someone who's going to complain about not getting enough shots. Like you can slide him into different lineups, ask him to do different things. He can function as a passer. He can function as a shooter. He can, he can function as another playmaker. You can basically mix, mix lineups around him and ask him to do different things. And that helps because you can just use him in so many different ways. Um, and, I, and I know I touched on his defense a little bit. Gordon Hayward's never going to be someone who's going to be like an all-NBA level defender or anything. Um, but one of my favorite stats this season uh, is on the Beeble Index, and it's versatility rating on the defensive end of the court. 
And actually, in Boston's starting lineup, Gordon Hayward was their most versatile defender, um, wow. according to this stat. And look, that does not necess- that does not mean by any way, shape, or form that he is their best defender. I don't I don't want to get that confused or anything. But like he is a guy who can guard multiple positions. Like you you can you can put him on a point guard in one possession for for a little bit, and then he can slide onto a small forward or, or a small power forward. And like you're saying, that just kind of balances everything out, I think, for the Celtics, and also does let them go to that that smaller lineup without Tice. Because um, you know, as incredible as Bam Adebayo is, and he's given Boston a lot of trouble in this series, he's not someone who's great yet at scoring in the post. Um, so if you, if you're going up against a center who can't just like bulldoze you to the basket like a Joel Embiid or something like that, um, you can get away with those smaller lineups more often than not. Um, so so that's another way that I, I think just generally like Haywood is a really smart smart player and a guy you don't ever have to worry about. Um, and if you can have five guys on the court this late into the playoffs who are all like that. Um, that makes a tremendous difference, as simple as it sounds. Yeah, his return really has changed this series completely. And, uh, you know, judging by the way he played in Game 3 and you get the extra days off, uh, it should really make this Eastern Conference Finals very interesting going forward. The Speaking of returns, uh, the return of one Gareth Bale. I almost said Christian Bale. Gareth Bale to Tottenham. <laughs> Huge, huge, huge addition to a team that is looking to get back at the top of the table in the PL. Our friends over at Sound System FC have you covered on what that move could mean for the most hated team in England, in my opinion, Spurs. Uh, Gareth Bale, of course, spent some time in Spain playing for Real Madrid. Things didn't work out there for him. He's now going back home, so to speak, to Tottenham to try and uh, recapture some of his glory that he once was. Big pickup. They'll have it covered for you. Bo and Lawrence will have it covered for you over at Sound System FC. If you have not subscribed, stop what you're doing right now. Go ahead, wherever podcasts are found, type in Sound System FC. You will thank me later. All right. Uh, we uh, have another series where the Denver Nuggets are facing a deficit. This time, 0-2 to the uh, now title favorites in the NBA, Los Angeles Lakers. Um Game one wasn't close. Game two was a surprise comeback in the end that needed an Anthony Davis three at the buzzer to give the Lakers a 2-0 lead. In the first two games, have you seen enough to make you believe that the Lake, the sorry, the Nuggets could come back again? I, I don't really want to count the Nuggets out because I did that two weeks ago on this podcast and then they came back and defeated the Clippers who I thought were going to win the title. But I, I do think this is just, I do feel like they're overmatched against the Lakers. Um, in saying that, I, I do think game two wasn't just a fluke. Like th- there are certain things from that game that they can learn from a- and implement moving forward to potentially make this a series that, you know, is not going to end 4-1 or something like that and potentially go to six games. Um, the, big, the big difference between game one and game two. So the Lakers, the, there are three things that they do pretty much better than any team in the league. They get into the paint. They get out in transition and they score off of turnovers. They basically ranked in the top three of each of those categories during the regular season. In game one, the Lakers had 16 fast break points, 24 points off of turnovers, and 54 points in the paint. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. In game two, they basically halved all that numbers. The Lakers had eight fast break points, 15 points off of turnovers, and 34 points in the paint. And against this team, that is the recipe for success because the Lakers, as you know, star started as they are with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, they're not as good 
in a half-court setting. They ranked about 19th in the league in points per 100 possessions in the half-court, according to cleaning the glass during the regular season. So I think there are certain things in that game, too. You could tell they were trying to get more on the fast break. They were, they were um, closing off the, uh, the, the paint when LeBron tried to get to the basket and forcing the Lakers to, to rely on those kickouts to three-point shooters, where they can, they can beat you in that way. They proved it in game two. But this isn't a team that's going to light you up consistently from three-point range. Um, so whether or not the Nuggets can do that, you know, three, three or four more times and actually win in this series, I'm not sure. But I do think there were some things in game two that they can kind of do again moving forward to make this series more even. I, like you, don't think the Nuggets have a shot at coming back into the series. I would like to be wrong just from a fan standpoint. I want to be entertained as much as possible. But I did say Lakers in five in this series, and I think it's trending towards uh, a Lakers in five. But I do, like you, see ways that the Nuggets can come back into the series and, and maybe even make it interesting. And, and it's really, for me, simple stuff. You know, 18.5 turnovers per game in the first two games, it's not going to get it done for the uh, Denver Nuggets. You just can't give the Lakers opportunities at the basket, as you mentioned, is one of the best fast-break teams uh, in the NBA, and they have been in the playoffs as well. Shooting sub-80% from the foul line. Like, you're getting to the line, but if you can't convert on your free throws, I mean, that that's you're going up against one of the best defensive teams in the league. That's just not a rep- recipe for success right there for the Denver Nuggets. They just have to be better from the foul line. They're doing a good job of getting there. Now it's time to convert. Part of me wonders how much that is of them kind of getting tired now uh, after, you know, grinding it out for 14 games before this series. That's a tough ask. It's, it's a lot of games where, you know, a lot of minutes on guys' legs and, uh, you know, free throws. A lot of it comes from the lower body. And I don't know, maybe maybe it's starting to catch up for them. Uh, but you have to be better from the foul line. And you're getting, you're getting hammered on the boards. Game one, uh, it really didn't show up as much because the game was so up and down. And, and I know, I think the Nuggets actually won the rebound total in game one. Uh, but a lot of that came in garbage time. Game two, they were hammered. The Lakers really felt like they won all the little hustle plays. And if you're the Nuggets, you know you're not as star-studded as the Lakers, and you just don't have the the room or the margin for error that the Lakers do, you have to win those hustle stats. You have to be able to beat them on the glass. You have to be able to cut down on turnovers, and, and you have to be able to create turnovers yourself. And, uh, and, and the Nuggets just haven't been able to do that at a high level in the first two games. Now, saying that is, uh, you know, most people would think, you need to you need to speed the game up if you're a Denver Nuggets because historically we think that the Nuggets are this fast pace fast break team where they get out and run they're playing at altitude they're trying to tire the other team out that really hasn't been the case really over the last couple of years and and, and I, they're actually better in the half court than I think people give them credit for and they've been good in the half court against this Lakers team who's really good defensively Jokic is just so elite he's been able to pick people apart in the half court and Jamal Murray is, is showing you that this is not a fluke he's going up a re- against a really good defensive team and still finding ways to score and contribute so I, I think slowing down the tempo a little bit or or playing uh you know at a playoff pace so to speak it definitely favors the Nuggets, and it actually goes the other way for the Lakers because the Lakers, outside of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, don't have those guys that can uh, really create it in the half court, and they really struggle in the half court. Um, you know, If it wasn't for the fast break points that they've created in the first two games, I don't know that the margin for victory would have been there. It might, we might be looking at a 1-1 series here for the Denver Nuggets. So I think shortening possessions and, and, and slowing down the game a little bit might actually help Denver more than it helps the Lakers. And normally the better defensive team wins that battle. But I think that the Nuggets 
uh, are good enough defensively to slow down a Lakers team that offensively is not great. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that they basically just need to they need to win all the little battles on the court. Um, they they basically need to play a perfect game to beat the Lakers because you see it. It's like PJ Dozier, I think it was, missed two clutch free throws at the end of that game. Um, and not I'm not pinning that loss entirely on him, obviously, but it's it's those little things and you know giving up 16 second uh, second fast uh, second chance points. Um, Things like that, you you at this point of the season, you do need to kind of, you know, have a perfect game to beat a team as good as the Lakers, and that's why it's just going to be really tough for the Nuggets because as good as they are, and they've proven they're the best, they're at their best when they have their backs against the walls. It's going to be really hard to beat this Lakers team four times. It's always hard to beat LeBron James, isn't it? Like yes, it always it feels like uh, over the last, uh, well, maybe his entire career. Uh, it's been tough to knock him out of the playoffs. Never lost the first round series. He's only wa- lost one conference final series. That was against the Orlando Magic. Uh, and that's the last time he lost to an Eastern Conference team um, before getting into the finals. Nine nine finals out of the last 10 years. And uh, he's two games away from getting back to the finals again, this time on the other side of the bracket. And you look at his playoff numbers, You know, 25 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists. Great numbers, but for what we've seen out of LeBron James over the last maybe 10 years, those numbers feel like they're down a little bit. Uh, he's still shooting great from the field. You know, uh, He's actually shooting 36% from three-point range, uh, You know, 55% from the field. So he, he's getting it done, um, but it feels like he's getting it done kind of in, uh, in jog mode, not full-out sprint mode, if I can use that analogy. Is LeBron saving his energy for the finals? I, I think he might be. And the thing is, like, you can't say that LeBron is coasting because, again, those numbers that you just said, he's been incredible. Um, but the, the thing that really jumped out to me was, so LeBron played 41 minutes in game one against the Portland Trailblazers, right? Right. He hasn't cracked 40 minutes since in a game. So for this playoff run through 12 games, he's averaging 34.2 minutes per game, which is the least in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and just for some, uh, for some perspective, his last year in Cleveland, he averaged 41.9 minutes per game in the playoffs. And I think really this is the benefit of having a guy like Anthony Davis, right? A, a, a superstar who is as young as he is um, and can go games when he scores 36 points and he can hit the game winner um, at the end like we saw in game two. So I, I almost do feel like, look, there's been there's been different versions of LeBron that we've seen throughout his career. But I also do think there's a huge difference between playoff LeBron and we need a win, and I'm going to put this team on my back right now, LeBron. And I really don't think we have seen that version yet. Whether or not we will in these playoffs, like maybe they don't need him to. Um, I, I ultimately think they will at some point to win the finals. But look, they, they kind of took care of business. It was pretty easy against the Blazers in the first round. Um, the Rockets didn't put up nearly as big of a fight as I thought they would. And they've looked somewhat comfortable through these first two games of the series. Um, so like you, I wouldn't necessarily go as far as saying that LeBron is coasting right now. Um, but I, I also don't think we have seen peak pedal to the metal LeBron yet, which is terrifying. Yeah, it is pretty terrifying, especially when you look at the numbers. And we're, we're so used to him having those eye-popping numbers that he's put up or had to have put up uh, with, a, with a lesser team around him, so to speak, uh, and bringing them to the finals. And you, you mentioned the minutes. I think that's a huge, huge stat that I don't think most people are really paying attention to. Uh, you know, playing less than 35 minutes per game, that's a luxury that only someone like Giannis gets. Uh, and that's <laughs> not by choice. 
Um, when you look at shooting, uh, you know, even his shots that he's getting, he's shooting the least amount of field goal attempts that he has in his playoff career um, at, you know, at 16.8. Um, only, you know, in, in Miami, you know, his time in Miami did he shoot that, uh, you know, that low of a field goal attempt uh, per game. And that was because he had so much around him, especially shooters, um, and also Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh to lean on. So this version of LeBron kind of, um, where he doesn't have to do everything or even doesn't have to feel like he has to do everything is uh, is definitely a scary sight for for the rest of the league. Um, I, I wonder, is this the best kind of course of action for the Lakers to ultimately win a championship? Like, is Or do they need LeBron to be LeBron uh, in the sense that uh, he, he takes over the way that we've seen him take over in the past? It's a good question. Um I, I sort of do feel like they, they they will need him at some point. Whether whether or not it's you know a game versus a series, I still think they're gonna probably need at least one of those games from LeBron. Um, because not to overlook the Nuggets here, because again, there's there's a chance that this team could fight back and make this a series and even win. But I do think that looking forward, the Heat and the Celtics, if they either of those team, if the Lakes were to see them in the finals. They're going to be much better equipped at defending the Lakers. Um, neither of them, I don't think, really have an answer for Anthony Davis. I mean, maybe Bam, actually. Um, but they have at least size that they can throw at LeBron. So it's going to make it a little bit more difficult on the Lakers, which makes me think that they will need one of those games or a couple of those games out of LeBron. Um, and we'll, we'll know when those games happen, by the way. I feel like you can tell when LeBron is, senses the moment and knows he needs to get a win when he just starts posting up anyone. Um, because we've seen it time and time again, no one can handle LeBron in the post. When he when he puts his back to the basket, his passing, his strength, um, his ability to finish at the rim, all that nobody can stop him. But he seems to kind of save it for the moments when he needs it the most. Um, so I, I I mean I wouldn't be surprised if we see one of those games in the final at least. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think LeBron is his finals. Um, you know, we, we might we might have gotten past playoff LeBron. I, I don't think we'll get past finals LeBron. I think uh, you know him being this close to possibly. Uh, another title, he'll, he'll turn it on when when the time is right. And um, with AD's first finals, by the way, that that helps too. Yeah. You know, there's a yeah. situation where, in, in a sense, I'm not saying AD's carrying LeBron, but maybe AD plays. You know, is is player is one A during the first three rounds, and then that switches um, for LeBron in one A because he's been there before and knows what it takes. So yeah, yeah that, that that could totally happen. Yeah, he and AD's been incredible. He has oh, really he's been, been incredible. Uh, it, it's, it surprises me, though, um, that as good as LeBron has been, as good as Anthony Davis has been, and they deserve a lot of credit for carrying this Laker team uh, as far as they have in the postseason. Um, I, I think that, you know, I started off the top talking about one of the most underrated coaches in the NBA. I truly believe that Frank Vogel has fallen into that category of being one of the most underrated coaches in the entire league because he's not getting any credit for what the Lakers have done this season. 50, 52 wins on the year, best record in the Western Conference. They've cruised so far through the playoffs. Uh, you know, Everybody was, was saying that the Portland Trailblazers would give them trouble in the first round. That series ended in five. Everyone was saying that the uh, Houston Rockets might give them a little bit of trouble. That series ended in five. They're now up 2-0 over the Denver Nuggets. A chance uh, two wins away from getting to the finals and, and, and ultimately six wins away from reaching their goal. And we still haven't heard a peak 
heap out of people saying that Frank Vogel deserves a lot of credit for what he's done. Great defensive, uh, great defensive team out of the Lakers. That has something to do with Frank Vogel, who has proven in the past that he can get that done. And it's not like this is a, a fluke. He did this in Indiana, and I know that he had a forgettable time in Orlando. The two years there weren't. Uh, you know, there wasn't much success in the two seasons there. He obviously didn't have the pieces to be successful there either. But in Indiana, he was a game away from the NBA Finals with a team that I don't think many people realize, uh, you know, they had some good pieces, but he put them in a position to get past a Hall of Fame-laden Miami Heat team and, uh, and was really close to getting them over the hump on the road in a Game 7. Like that... He wins one of those games. We look at Frank Vogel completely different. And now he's two wins away from the finals for the first time in his career as a head coach. And I, I wonder, where is the love for Frank? It is funny, too, because it feels like um, Mike Malone, you know, has been getting a lot of credit uh, for kind of the resilience of the Nuggets. And he deserves that, too. But it's and then on the Eastern Conference, you've got, you know, Brad Stevens, the incredible tactician that he is. Eric Spolstra building this team. Um, and the scheme that can kind of slow down Giannis and the Bucks, and how he's one of the best X's and O's coaches. And even before that, Nick Nurse on the Raptors. Um, but yeah, here is Frank Vogel, two wins away from the conference finals, and we're not hearing a peep about him. Um, and, and he's definitely, the thing with coaching is that it, it's difficult to evaluate when you're not around the team every single day, right? Um, how, how the coach manages the locker room, all the little things that he does. But I do think that there's been a couple things in this series that you can point to that shows that Vogel is willing to make the adjustments or um, can make adjustments in a series. Like in game one, Dwight Howard was out playing JaVale McGee in the first half. So Frank Vogel starts Dwight Howard in the second half. And that sounds like a small thing, but not every single coach would do that because McGee usually starts in that situation. Defensively against Nikola Jokic, he was incredible in game two, but I generally think they've had you know a much better game plan against him than Doc Rivers and the Clippers did in the previous round. Um, so yeah, he's done a fantastic job. And it, it is funny that you don't hear anything about him. Um, and even if you go back to the start of this, the season, you know, th there was talk about, there were jokes about him making it until like Christmas or January. And then Jason Kidd, the assistant coach on the lake, is taking over as head coach. Um, that, that was, and I know he joked about it before Vogel joked about, you know, Kidd coming for his job or something like that. Um, so it's kind of interesting that, you know, he's had all this pressure from day one. And yet here he is, two wins away from the conference finals. Um, but I also do think some of that comes with the territory of, you know, coaching LeBron James. Um, it's, it's just one of those situations where if you don't do your job, you hear about it every single day, but if you do do your job, you're probably not getting the same credit that other coaches around the league would. Um, but he's, he, he has been fantastic, a fantastic season for Frank Vogel, um, that they hope with, you know, ends in a championship, obviously. Yeah, he deserves all the credit in the world. Not uh, and I and I and I agree with you. I think a lot of that has to do with the spotlight that's kind of shown on LeBron James. And um, but I would expect at this point in the season, I, I'm shocked that the rest of the media really isn't in giving Frank uh, credit because it's not like he's been. Uh, you know, I, I get the Mike Malone stuff because he's kind of been on a Cinderella run with his team, both mm -hmm. down, you know, down three one and back to back series. So that's a nice story to cut the underdog uh, fighting through. But Frank has had a lot of pressure uh, on him, or the Lakers as a whole have had a lot of a lot of pressure on them to kind of get through this season and to finish first seed in the East, in the Western Conference rather to get them to the point where they are right now. And, and mind you, we're not talking about a lot about you know what, what they lost. You know, we were talking a lot about what they lost uh, to the bubble. The guys opting out, um, having to pull a guy like J.R. Smith and, and Deion Waiters basically off of their couches to come play. Mm -hmm. 
and they, he's been able to figure it out. Um, you know, dealing with the fact that maybe Dwight Howard would be there and, and or wouldn't be there, and he's still been able to figure that out. And then on top of that, dealing with the, what LeBron James brings and everything that he has, and the pressure that's on Anthony Davis, I think Frank Vogel is getting lost in all of that sauce. And I really do hope that more, more people pay attention to what he's doing in this playoffs. Ten and two in the playoffs so far. Best record in the Western Conference for a team that a lot of people uh, were expecting might have fell into the Clippers or would have been battling the Clippers at this point. Um, he held up his end of the bargain, and I don't hear many people kind of giving him credit for uh, for what's been a really good season for the entire entire team. Uh, I guess we can say that about anyone on the team, right? Like, no one's going to give KCP love. No one's really giving Kuzma love. Not like he deserves it. But, I mean, the rest of the team doesn't really get the love <laughs> that they deserve. But the minute they have a bad game, we're all oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's LeBron and AD until something else goes wrong. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> that 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 just that comes with the territory with it. But again, if this season ends in a championship, I don't think anyone's going to complain about that on the Lakers. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. So Frank, don't worry, we got your back here on NBA Sound System. We'll give you the love you truly deserve for the season you've had out in LA. A reminder: if you missed any portion of this show, you can find it in the archives on. Uh, in your podcast feeds, NBA Sound System. Go ahead, rate, subscribe, and review, and tell your friends to spread the word around town. We are getting close to the finals, Scott. It is a week away before the start of the NBA Finals, and we are a couple weeks away from crowning an NBA champion in the middle of October. Unbelievable. Never thought I would see it, but we're living through it, folks, and we are going to take you right up until the end of the season right here on NBA Sound System and beyond. For Scott Rafferty, I'm Carlin Gay. We will see you next week right here, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, NBA Sound System, L-I-V-E Live.